This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. The COVID-19 epidemic has served to expose and catalyze many trends that began before the attending lockdowns and response. Decades-long migration from high-cost states such as California, Illinois, and Connecticut to lower-cost states such as Florida, Texas, and Nevada have accelerated owing to a wide adoption of pandemic-related technologies. The ability to work from anywhere has made it possible for individuals to decouple their city and state of residence from their place of employment. Indeed, many studies suggest the cost savings and the potential for increased productivity make remote work attractive to both employee and employer. As we transition from the lives we needed to live during a crisis to the lives we want to live after it's over, will workers return to high-cost cities like Boston, or can all but the most essential frontline workers decamp for lower-cost cities and lower-tax states? My guest today is Andrew McCullough, researcher at Pioneer Institute. His recent research pieces entitled Do the Wealthy Migrate Away from High-Tax States? A Comparison of Adjusted Gross Income Changes in Massachusetts and Florida, and Barriers to Exit Lowered in High-Cost States as Pandemic-Related Technologies Changed Outlook, offer analysis of trends in migration of wealthy Americans and the way in which the pandemic has served to further facilitate their movement. Mr. McCullough will share his views on what these data may mean for cities like Boston and states like Massachusetts, and what the best long-term policy response may be. When I return, I'll be joined by Pioneer Institute's Andrew McCullough. All right, we're back. I'm Joe Salvaggi. This is Hubwonk. uh, And I'm now joined by Pioneer Institute's Andrew McCullough. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Joe, thanks so much for having me. Okay, Andrew, I'd like to start our conversation at the beginning and take a a look at what you are doing, your research most recently, on wealth trends, the migration of our wealthier citizens. They're leaving some states and going to other states. You've taken a look uh, about net inflows, outflows. So let's start there. Where are the wealthy uh, coming from? And to which states are those wealthier individuals going to? Of course. Uh, So first of all, I want to clarify that most of my research focuses on the flow of taxable income, mm-hmm. not necessarily people. Um, I think they're largely similar in direction. You know, people are, are leaving California and so is wealth. Um, but places, uh, some places like uh, South Florida, for example, have proven uniquely attractive to the wealthy. So it's worth making that distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, and in general, people tend to leave the old, cold, expensive states in the Northeast and Midwest, like New York and Illinois, um, and move to cheaper Sunbelt retiree destinations like Florida, Arizona, and Texas. Um, And New York and Illinois are big states, so it's hard to ignore the, the volume of the problem there. But when you look at how many people are leaving on a per capita basis, um, you also get some smaller states in the picture like Connecticut, and even Alaska. Okay, I suppose that's a good place to start. Uh, Today, the weather is 14 degrees outside, so I'll accept that much of the migration from one state to another is going from, I think you called it, old and cold, 
uh, moving from uh, a northern clime, a colder clime, uh, to a more pleasant southern uh, climate, largely, I suppose, because they can. Uh, but let's add some more dimension to this conversation and, and consider why uh, states leave, uh, individuals leave one state and go to another. Uh, there's more to the picture than merely weather. Uh, in earlier episodes of Hubwonk, we've discussed issues such as tax rates, uh, tax or uh, political uncertainty. Uh, I think your research looks more deeply into those factors. What can you tell our listeners about why people move for other reasons than weather? Yeah, there absolutely is a correlation. Um, I mentioned Alaska earlier. It's actually the only state that both has no personal income tax and is on uh, on the net losing taxable income to other states through migration. All the other ones that have no income tax from Florida to Arizona to South Dakota are consistently attracting more wealth than they're shedding from people moving elsewhere. Um, and on the flip side, in states like California, Hawaii, New Jersey, Minnesota, um, with relatively high income tax rates, uh, migration tends to lose them a significant amount of taxable income every year. All right, then let's acknowledge this is a uh, more complex question than folks looking uh, for warmer weather. Uh, you do, in fact, have in your study several colder states that are gaining wealthy individuals uh, and some warmer states who are losing, that are losing uh, wealthy people. So how do you tease out the uh, signal from the noise? How do you determine uh, what is causational? Why are people moving from one region of the country to another? Uh, can you be more specific? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely onto something, Joe. I mean, I don't think taxation is the only factor here. It's hard to ignore that Florida is basically the only place in the lower 48 with a tropical climate. Um, but places like New Hampshire and Montana that have much harsher climates are also net winners from people moving across state lines. And there's been a lot of attention recently on, on factors like the cost of living in motivating location decisions for households. Um, and in turn, the tax burden in, in places like California and New York uh, certainly contributes to that high cost of living. All right. Now, your um, your research does do a, a dive into the profiles of those people who are migrating in and out of Massachusetts, uh, and also in, in states like Florida. What what can you tell us about uh, the profile of the people who are actually doing the moving? Yeah, I, I think the most striking demographic trait of someone who's moving from Massachusetts to Florida is wealth. Um, Rich people love to move to Florida. <laughs> in, in fact, I'll put some numbers on it. Okay, the average taxable income of someone moving from Massachusetts to Florida in 2018, the most recent year we have data for, um, was $120,325. So compare that with the average of $64,992 among taxpayers who moved from Florida to Massachusetts that same year in the opposite direction. Um, that's almost a difference of a factor of two. And it's a big reason why Massachusetts loses so, so much wealth when people migrate between Massachusetts and Florida. It's a difference in the incomes of people who are moving, depending on the direction. Um, and then you can also look at, at the, when you look at the total amount of money that leaves Massachusetts each year um, from interstate migration, um, it also mostly comes from older adults. Um, and, and some of that is because older adults tend to be wealthier than young people. Um, but a lot of that is because, um, you know, the elderly are moving in greater numbers out of Massachusetts compared to younger people. 
All right, it's hard to argue that it's not a good trend for Massachusetts to be losing wealthier people and uh, having people move in who are roughly half as wealthy uh, to replace them. Uh, but let me push back and, and play devil's advocate with you here. Let me imagine the life cycle of an average individual. Uh, they arrive in Massachusetts because they're attracted by one of our wonderful uh, universities here. They arrive, they're perhaps even in debt. Uh, they graduate, build a, a wonderful career, amass uh, uh, substantial wealth and income. Uh, and then they reach retirement and they want to retire to Florida. They've arrived here effectively relatively poor and leave here relatively wealthy. Wouldn't that trend account for your much of your data findings? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Joe. Uh, like I said, it's true that most of the wealth that's moving out of Massachusetts uh, tends to belong to people who are ages 55 and older. Um, but in recent years, Massachusetts has lost taxable income through migration among people of, of every age group we can track in our database, including people under age 26. Um, and it's really all but the, the wealthiest millennials who leave more um, than they arrive. Um, and that concerns me a lot. Um, you know, we talk about longtime residents leaving Massachusetts all the time, but there's also this insidious trend of young people who, who feel that they can't afford to get started here in the first place. And that shows up in our migration data as well. You know, in, in, and I think the, the risk that they're, they're taking in moving here, even when the cost of living is so high, um, if they're increasingly viewing it as, as not worth it to do that, well, that hurts our, our economic resilience in the long run. Because like you said, they are the people who are the future innovators who are going to MIT um, and whatnot. Well, instead, maybe they're going to Texas or North Carolina. I'm glad you've added another dimension to our conversation, which is, of course, the cost of living. So a place like Massachusetts, uh, we're cold, so uh, people leave us for weather. Uh, we have relatively high tax compared with uh, no income tax states like Florida or New Hampshire. And you've mentioned cost of living, uh, which may dissuade people from starting their career or building a family here in Massachusetts. Uh, let's make this bad situation look even worse by talking about uh, COVID-19, uh, the effects of lockdowns, and the advent of the ability to uh, work remotely, telecommute that is. Um, might this add even one more dimension to uh, folks deciding to choose warmer, lower tax states and perhaps work for a Massachusetts company? Um, what does your data say about um, the, COVID's brought, uh, the, the trends brought on by COVID-19? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty about this right now. Um, but we do have survey data that suggests that telecommuters will make up a much larger share of the workforce after the pandemic than they did before the pandemic. You know, But whether that percentage of, or share of the workforce is 15% or 30% really depends on which polling group you trust more, right? Um, but regardless, uh, during the pandemic, a significant share of employees and employers have had a chance to test this out. And they've seen firsthand that avoiding the commute, avoiding parking costs, um, avoiding the, the cost of you know, buying a sandwich downtown instead of going to your fridge. Um, but also on the employer side, the cost of renting an office downtown. Um, and in so, even in some cases, um, the cost of you know, workers being more productive when they work from home in some industries. You know, 
both of these, these sides of the, the labor market um, have seen that there are potentially thousands of dollars in savings here um, per worker. I mean, there are clear benefits to being able to communicate in person, socialize with workers, um, your coworkers, et cetera. Um, but I think the pandemic is going to, to shift the equilibrium on how many employers think that allowing remote work is worth it, and also how many employees want to work remotely in the first place. You bring up several excellent points, and I, I want to quote your research. Uh, the paper entitled Barriers to Exit Lowered in High-Cost States as Pandemic-Related Technologies Changed Outlook. Um, this passage, I think, captures it best. Quote, According to a May 2020 survey, 28.1% of workers said they get more done when working from home compared to 20.9% who say they get less done. Some researchers claim that for every half-time remote worker, the average employer saves $11,000 per year, largely due to productivity gains and real estate cost savings, while the average telecommuter saves up to $4,000 in travel, parking, and food expenses. Now, that research did, in fact... Uh, surprised me quite a bit, but was what really um, uh, turned my head was uh, elsewhere in that paper, uh, you're finding that employees themselves would actually be willing to take a pay cut so as to be able to telecommute more frequently uh, than they do now. Uh, could you say more about your findings in that area? Um, this was a fascinating survey from a company called Global Workplace Analytics found that over one third of workers said that they would take a 5% pay cut for the opportunity to work remotely at least some of the time. And I, I believe that part of the reason for that is because it might make it more feasible for them to relocate to a place where you know, they don't have to pay so much for the cost of living. We've heard all these stories during the pandemic of you know, people in Silicon Valley relocating to Idaho um, because they can, you know, because their tech companies are, are saying, you know, we're going to be remote through, you know, through June, through the end of the year. So um, I'm sure the policymakers and legislators listening to the show, um, this might come as troubling news. In other words, we've got, we, we, we're all very proud of our city of Boston, our region of Massachusetts. Uh, but what you've just described is it's more than a tax issue. A tax issue may be uh, uh, part of the story, uh, we have a tax and our neighbor to the north doesn't have an income tax. But the cost to come in for the privilege of working in, th in the middle of, of Boston is uh, high. So um, with the advent of the technology and the ability to telecommute, we can both erase the cost of getting to work and also the tax of living in that same state. Do I have the, the details of your findings about right? Yeah. Um... I think that right now, policymakers should be focused on, first and foremost, putting this pandemic in the rearview mirror and then making sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, because in the, in the long term, you know, Boston and New York and Silicon Valley do have economic productivity advantages that most other places don't have. But this pandemic has kind of exposed a unique uh, vulnerability in Massachusetts to a future that potentially places less of a premium on working in a big, expensive urban agglomeration. Now, of course, Pioneer Institute is a think tank. You're doing research uh, with the hope that uh, it will help inform policymakers' decisions, legislators' decisions. Uh, so I don't want to lead the witness here, but um, we've just talked about how particularly wealthier uh, workers uh, can 
live and work from wherever they choose. Um, Boston is an expensive city. Massachusetts is an expensive state to live in. Uh, do you think this will mean, in the long run, policymakers and legislators are going to have to see wealthy, uh, uh, productive, job-creating citizens uh, more as a resource to cultivate and attract rather than an endemic resource to tax, uh, say? Uh, what is your view on this? I, I think um, I, I want to see more, you know, acknowledgement that um, it's a lot easier for um, the kind of innovators and the tech workers and the, et cetera um, that often provide job security for, for local service um, firms and their workers. Um, I want to see more acknowledgement that, that they're vulnerable, they're more able to leave than, than your mail carrier or your grocery clerk or your firefighter. Um, right. And it's easier for them to work from home. And I, I think that any policies that, that aim to redistribute resources in a way that, that helps the, the mail carriers and the firefighters and the grocery clerks should be careful not to undermine the virtuous cycle of innovation that fuels gains in living standards for everyone. So, I mean, I, I know you, you frame it as a, um, kind of a, a mentality shift, and I think that's valid. But I think it's it's also the uniqueness of this time where there's been a kind of uh, uh, recalculation of the merits of working from home and having uh, a kind of less centralized office. So we're getting close to our time together. Um, so I'll just uh, uh, put a, a small aside. Is I'm I'm a city lover myself. I say. Um, uh, I've always lived in one. Uh, I get choked up when I hear the song "Downtown." It's a, a you know, it's I'm all about living in a city. Um, but what changes do you imagine, uh, whether it's Boston or other uh, high-cost cities? Uh, what changes do you imagine uh, they can make to ensure that these innovators and the job creators, the, the people who provide vitality to our economy, what what should leaders in our city and our state be doing to ensure that uh, this? as you say, a virtuous cycle of success uh, continues, despite the fact that uh, we now know technology has enabled people essentially to live and work wherever they want. Yeah, thanks for saying that, Joe. I'm a passionate city lover myself. Um, and I think it's important to realize that, you know, the need for job growth um, shouldn't prevent us from addressing uh, some of the problems that that Boston and New York and California are dealing with right now. You know, I know the cost of living is ridiculous, but instead of blaming that on an influx of tech workers, you know, let's talk about how to make it easier for the market to respond to that influx. Um, and, you know, maybe some, some state and city budgets will be in precarious positions post-pandemic, but I, I want to see more attention paid to the the, the wasteful tax credits that go to, you know, special interest groups and out-of-state corporations, um, instead of raising taxes on people who, who actually live here. And, you know, I, I don't want to uh, get into the weeds here too much, but I, I think the bottom line is that I'd urge caution against implementing policies that would make it easier for a, a cycle of disinvestment um, in some of these places to get started. And to some extent, uh, they already have happened during the pandemic, 
in places like New York, where people, you know, who could camp decamp to vacation homes or relatives' homes often did at the height of the pandemic in April. But in, in my view, the best way to bring people back is to return cities to their roots with small local businesses, more affordable urban amenities, and you know, lower uh, regulatory burdens on, on businesses. And I'm not sure I'm prepared to tell you, you know, exactly how to do that. Like for, you know, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution for every city in the country. Um, but you know, I, I think knowing what the goal is is a big first step. And um, I'm I'm confident that in the long term, you know, we can turn. We we just have to make sure that the response to contemporary urban problems doesn't undermine the basis for their success. Very well said. Uh, I'll paraphrase and say, uh, let's stick to our knitting, um, deliver basic services, and let's not think about killing the golden goose by uh, implementing uh, onerous taxes on on our, our our innovators. Absolutely, Joe. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. You've been a great guest. I have, I appreciate your uh, your research. Oh, um, for our listeners who don't know how to access uh, Pioneer's research. Uh, well, I have them right in front of me. I, I'll cite one of them is barriers to exit lowered in high cost states as a pandemic related technologies change is changed outlook. Oh, is that is that the right one? Yes, that's the most recent. Thank you. I, we changed the title a lot. So <laughs> I appreciate it. That's right. You may have been edited. I, I know what that's all about. And um, <laughs> uh, I have another uh, piece in front of me. Uh, do the wealthy migrate away from high tax states? Um, again, it's a it's a question, not a rhetorical question. Your your um, your data supports that in fact they do so. Uh, very well done, very well researched, and there's lots of information for our listeners uh, who want to learn more. So thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support us. Uh, it would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubbonk. Uh, a new episode is released every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Uh, you can give us a five-star rating. You can offer a favorable review. And of course, it's great if you do share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas for me or comments or suggestions about uh, topics for future episodes, you can reach me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.